0: They want me to get rid of my dog. Can they do that? I'm being funny for leaving my garage door open too long. What are covenants? Do I have any rights? Help, I feel like
1: I've left the American zone. If you want the answers to those questions, join me, Shu Bartholomew, and my guests on the Commons every Saturday from 2 to 3 right here on WBR Fairfax Radio. We'll ask the experts and we'll untangle the truth about what's left of our property rights. On the Commons is a weekly radio show dedicated to discussing the many issues surrounding mandatory membership homeowners associations. Join us as we explore this relatively new world of controlled living, which includes condominiums, cooperatives, and both attached and detached single-family homes living in a common ownership development means giving up the american dream it means giving up your constitutional rights and control over your most valuable asset your home living in a homeowners association means leaving the american zone this is on the commons and i am Sue bartholomew joining me today on the commons i have Shelley marshall and her brother mike marshall some of you know Shelley. You're going to get introduced to Mike today. Um, they are working on a project that I am super, super excited about. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. But first, I would like them both to introduce themselves to you. Shelley, tell us what you do. I know you've written a number of, of ebooks and especially some on HOAs. I want you to talk a little bit about that project. Your lo- your right. attorney project, and then Mike, we're going to get into what you're doing, and I'm fascinated. Okay. Okay, Shelly, go.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, what I call an HOA warrior because I'm an advocate for homeowner rights, and I have written some books for homeowners on exactly what they need to do when confronting their board, and what the risks and liabilities are, because I don't think there's enough protection for homeowners that are in associations, either condos, property. Uh, property owners associations or homeowner associations and that's basically what I do offering help to the um, homeowner who finds himself in a bad situation with their association.
1: so give us your website so people can go and look at your book look at what you have going wonderful it's h o a warrior dot org it's HOAwarrior.org. warrior dot org Dr. Michael Marshall, you are a a research psychologist, you're um, a professor. You are also becoming a warrior. Would you introduce yourself, please?
0: Okay, yeah, I'm Mike Marshall. Uh, As you said, mainly a professor of psychology, but also a psychologist in private practice. And I also happen to be a homeowner and an HOA. Ah. And I've had experiences that have gotten me interested in problems associated with uh, HOAs and the psychology behind it. And my sister got me involved in, in, in both of those with, with her experiences and research. <laughs> and so we've Together been working on a, on a research project, a case study in which we're looking at a one particular HOA and we are trying to, uh, find out what happens in terms of the psychology and in terms of the outcomes and how to make it better. And we're basically uh, involved in that research project right now.
1: It's fair at this point to say that Deborah Goonan is working with you as well, yes, and she's not on she's yeah, not absolutely. on the show, okay, so I just wanted to mention that
2: oh yeah, her input is invaluable. I think the three of us make an excellent team with Mike being the psychologist, with Deborah being as involved as she is, uh especially with her blog and, and informing people, and then of course with me um you know going for the homeowner rights and trying to tell them what they can do once they're in a bad situation. It's a perfect mix, I think.
1: So did you try to warn your brother about not buying in an HOA Shelly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes.
2: Well, no, actually, he had already bought into it. I was trying to get him out of it. By the time I learned what was going on, he was already in in the condo association. And I just kept saying, you don't realize how dangerous it is. You don't realize what the risk and liability is. And, um... Was, so we had a number of conversations, and, and basically, Mike, I think that you thought I was more or less exaggerating because uh, because I was involved in it. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Um, he, he listened to me, but it, he didn't take it, I think, quite so seriously at first. Would that describe
1: it, Mike? Yes. There's. Um, and, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go on, Shirley. Well,
2: and so, I, I mean, I, w- I was getting frantic the longer he was in it. And then, uh, uh, you know, hoping, because a lot of people don't experience problems, but so many of them do, and, and they don't know exactly what risk. But in my brother's case, eventually the worst thing happened. And you, I mean, you can explain that, Mike.
0: Yeah, what happened was my sister uh, tried to warn me for years to get out because she said, you don't know how big of a risk you're taking. And uh, it was not sinking in. She's quite right. It was not sinking in for a lot of reasons. And since uh, the worst did happen, as she predicted, and I got stuck in a predicament, then as part of our research, I tried to uh, reverse engineer it and answer the question, why didn't I listen to her? And I do have uh, answers, and they come from psychology. And, uh, whenever you're ready, I will start explaining those because okay. it's, oh. um, it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating. Of course, I'm a psychologist. I'm interested in these sort of things, but it's, it's fascinating what goes on psychologically that makes people not listen to warnings. And basically, that's what I did. It's, uh, and I found out, you know, subsequently through my, through my research that it's, it's a very human thing. It's, it's very common. Matter of fact, that's probably the most likely course of action that people will take when when someone gives them warnings they tend not to act on them and uh, there's various psychological reasons behind that
1: I'm, i'm going to turn it over back over to you mike in just a second as i was listening to you i was thinking because my initial my first career i guess in life was was nursing i was in medicine and there's this tendency to believe that you're immortal so any of right. the medical dangers just you sort of yeah. blow them mm-hmm. off because that's not gonna happen to me. It's gonna happen exactly. to someone else. And I think this right. is part and parcel of what you're talking about, isn't it?
0: That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that, that 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 psychological tendency exists in all areas of life. You know, whether it's medicine, whether it's financial, whether it's uh related to natural disasters uh, that is the uh way the human brain works, and people are going to uh react much the same way in all of those different domains
1: so all right, so you want to tell us what you're what you 're doing what you discovered
0: okay well there 's two aspects of it: one is the case study so there's there 's very specific findings related to the case study, and then the second is the underlying psychological Theory behind why people don't take action. So I can go with either one first. They 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 tend to be you know separate areas of of study, although they are interrelated. I, I have I can't intertwine the two. I have to talk about them separately. So which one do you want me to look at first?
1: Whichever one makes sense in a chronology that you want to take us.
0: Okay. Well, I'd, I'd, what I'd like to do is is talk about the underlying psychology behind not taking action. And uh, how the human brain tends to work in terms of, of decision making and problem solving and processing information, and so yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I made a list in preparation for this, and I have a list of nine different a uh, phenomenon that are occurring, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, all at once, but in some combination or some subset of these tend to explain why people don't take action. Why I didn't take action, even in the face of my sister's very robust warnings. And so we can start out with with number one is inertia. Uh, this is people's default state. In other words, it's a resistance to change. And so that's why current HOA members like myself, when my sister found out I was an HOA member, I did not take any action to change. My vulnerable, vulnerable position of being in an HOA. Why? Because of inertia, resistance to change. I didn't want to upset my whole life if I didn't have to for some vague future warning. So uh, the inertia effect is 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 a you know a main part of why people don't take action. Uh, the second is is called the Cassandra syndrome, and this is my sister alluded to this uh, a, a little that at the beginning of this interview, people learn best from their own direct experience and not so well from others' experience. So in other words, my sister is saying, I had this terrible experience. (laughs) Let me warn you. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I haven't experienced it myself, it tends not to register. So we call that the Cassandra syndrome. If somebody else sounds the alarm, people are not likely to listen because they haven't had direct experience with it. Okay. Uh, the, the the next psychological underpinning is called rationalization, and that goes all the way back to Freud. Inventing an acceptable reason for an unacceptable behavior. So, in other words, if I had made a mistake uh, by foolishly signing up with an HOA, then I would rationalize it mainly because I want to be right and not be a fool. And so, there's all kinds of ways to rationalize, you know, my my behavior. And so I'll find an acceptable reason for for staying or an acceptable reason for for having made the decision in the first place. In other words, I'll rationalize it away because I want to be right and I don't want to be made to look like a fool. Uh, number four is the focusing effect. We tend to focus only on one aspect of the situation, and that's the one we value the most. So here what we're talking about is a lifelong dream of a chance at home ownership. So the only way to obtain a dream home and be an owner in many high-demand markets is to buy a condo, because you can get in for about half the price of a standalone house that's not in an association, and so uh, that makes it more affordable. So if I accept your premise that I should avoid getting into an HOA, then you're taking away my dream of home ownership, and I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on what I value which is one single aspect, a chance to get into a home. And that's going to give me tunnel vision, and I'm not going to look at uh, uh, all the other complexities associated with it because I want that to happen so much. I will tend to tune out everything else. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah,
1: oh, please do. I'm fascinated.
0: Okay. All right. The next is is denial. Again, this is very Freudian, and, and, and you mentioned this issue, it won't happen to me, in fact. So uh, the reason Freud says we engage in this defense mechanism is to avoid experiencing anxiety. So if I think it's going to happen to me, I'll be very anxious. So what I'll do is I'll just deny it and put it out of my mind so I can relax and not worry. So I may, you know, say things like, well, yeah, it'll happen somewhere far away to others like my sister in Utah, (laughs) but it'll never (laughs) happen to me. (laughs) You know, like, uh, I'm too smart, I'm lucky, you know, yeah, it happened to her, but what are the odds it's going to happen to me in my situation? So, in other words, you know, straight common denial, which is a very powerful defense mechanism. Uh, Number six is uh, social dilemmas, and that is people almost always behave in a way that brings them immediate reward, uh, and they ignore far-off long-term costs. So, an example would be global warming. Am I going to not get in my car today and drive to work conveniently because somewhere down the road, you know, the sea levels may rise? No, I'm going to behave in a way that brings me immediate reward on the convenience of driving to work. And I'm going to ignore what's going to happen 20 years down the road when Miami floods. So that's that's called a social dilemma. And that's based upon simple learning theory, reinforcement theory. People are going to do what they're reinforced for most immediately. So uh, the most immediate reinforcement is that I will enjoy the convenience and of my condo and not worry about the fact that I may be sued down the road or some calamity may happen with an assessment, which is exactly what I did. Uh, seven escalating commitment. This was playing very big in my case, uh, sometimes called knee deep in the big muddy. This means that when we're stuck in a predicament or mired in a difficult situation, especially one that results from our own poor judgment, we're much more motivated to avoid losing what we've invested up to that point rather than cutting our losses. And that's why people tend to throw good money after bad in hopes of turning things around.
1: Yeah.
0: So. My thought was I've invested so much over the years, I'll lose it all if I quit right now. Yeah. So if I can just hang on a little bit and get through this crisis, then I'll get my investment back, and it'll pay off down the road, and I'll turn it around, and I'll, and I won't, and I'll save everything that I stand to lose. And so that's a very powerful orientation for you know, people's basic psychology, and that's what gets many gamblers so deeply in debt. They try to chase their losses with further wagers and further gambling. So that's called escalating commitment. The next is uh is trust. Uh, a lot of people are just trusting. We trust that those in charge are going to watch out for our welfare and our best interests. That's and we trust that they'll make good decisions. <laughs> that's a good <giggle. laughs> Right, that's just basic, you know, human trust. Yeah. Okay, and number nine is also very powerful. It's, 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 it's what I call lobbyist pressure. So there's a lot of information out there that, that is controlled by special interests. And uh, 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 they have the money to propagate propaganda and countermeasures. So an example would be like Exxon and global warming, you know, where they invested hundreds of millions for a decade to uh, put doubt in people's mind about global warming, and it had very measurable effects. That uh, people initially believed in it when Exxon started their disinformation campaign. Ten years later, uh, uh, there was a minority that, that that believed that global warming was a threat. So, lobbyist pressure is is always out there, and they tend to control the flow of information. So, people are hearing more of what they want people to hear rather than what the Cassandras are running around without resources and with a smaller voice are trying to warn them against. So in other words, that's, that's my, uh, my, my, my short list of just thinking about what it is that made me not listen to my sister so there's nine good reasons right there <laughs> they all have to do with basic psychology because my brain is no different than anybody else even though i'm a psychologist Our brains have evolved to work in a certain way and uh so these are you know these are a lot of the powerful psychological forces that are working against uh people taking action or listening to alarms about hoas and
1: uh, many people wow i
2: have never heard this list before, Mike. I love it. <laughs> I need to. I need to get a copy of it. This is fantastic. This is the best answer I've had to why people don't listen
0: to us. It's amazing. Yeah, because people um, you know, don't don't listen, and so that's the fact. So there's got to right. be a reason. So you know, the key is is uncovering and finding out what are the reasons.
1: Because if we know the reasons,
0: then we know how to address it. We know uh, how to correct it or turn it around. But you, you have to find the underlying reason or you can't address it you
1: know, effectively. That's, yeah, that's someplace I want to go with that because a lot of the things you've said here, I mean, the Cassandra Syndrome, for instance, I'm a Toastmaster and many of my listeners know that, and I often give speeches and I talk about some of the issues that are going on in HOA land and trying to sound the alarm so that people, in a non-threatening way, just in an informative way, let them know what what they're getting into if they buy or if they live in one and i've had people come up to me and say afterwards you mean some associations right and i go no i mean all associations because they're all subject to the same laws they're all subject to the same everything else and they go but but you don't understand that doesn't happen in my hoa and i go well where do you live? Because, you know, if if I'm talking to people locally, chances are, I know their HOA, and they'll say, "Well, I live in so and so." And I go, "But you know, you were in the news last week." Yeah, yeah, I know. But I heard from I hear from your neighbors. What do you mean it doesn't happen? Yeah, I know. Well, the person down the street may have had some problems, but Sue, you don't understand. It doesn't happen in my HOA. <laughs>
0: Yep, denial.
1: (laughs) It's it's like, wait a minute. They know it's happening to their neighbors. They know it's happening. They read about it in the papers. They hear about it from the neighbors. The board's out there isolating everybody, and yet it doesn't happen in their HOA. And I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Right. They're
2: saying it doesn't happen on their front lawn. Therefore, they're not subject to it.
1: (laughs) So, Shelley, I have... You've been kind of quiet. You tried to warn him
2: time yes. and time,
1: uh, once, and time. I, once
2: I realized what was going on, uh, yeah, I mean, once I realized that he really wasn't in uh, an HOA and at, at what risk he was at, I I started trying to pressure him, and I even asked him one time, "Why can't you hear me?" <laughs> He sort of chuckled at me, and uh, and then he gave me an explanation about primal fear, that I hadn't tapped into a primal fear, and when I'm talking to other people, I have to tap into something that will really get their attention, and he used a primal fear as as an example. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, can I do a billboard? Uh, Like uh, Gary Solomon did that huge billboard saying... You know, your H O A can make you sick, type of thing. Is there something I can do that will get that primal fear to get people to listen? But at that point, Mike hadn't developed this list, which I think is incredible, and I'm going to get it and I'm going to do something with it, put it up on the website for people.
1: So this is this is just number one, one of three parts, right, Mike? You've got the psychological theory. Um, You've got a case study, and you, did you ever tell me what the third?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 uh, do you want me to talk about the case study that we're involved in right now?
1: I, I want you to keep talking. <laughs> I just want to let okay. you <laughs> turn it over and let you talk. <laughs> I'm fascinated.
0: Okay, okay well, I'll, I'll describe the study to you. Um, it's a it's an HOA, uh, you know, or Common Interest uh, Development that uh, we uh, have some knowledge of, and we've collected a lot of data on, and it's a problem that's been going on for uh, a couple of years now. And basically what it involves is there's a, a crisis in terms of damage to the buildings. So there's a, a a large number of people. I can't tell you how many people, how many buildings or what state it's in, because we've promised those that we're interviewing uh, complete anonymity, and I don't want there to be any way that this uh, a case study uh, condo that, that we're um, this association that we're studying can be identified. so I'll be vague in in some regards. but okay. I can tell you the basics is that is that the buildings are are decades old. And it was a conversion. It was an apartment conversion. So there was a lot of shoddy work done, but it was all covered up. And so the people that bought into it, uh, uh, people bought into it from, from everywhere, even other countries. And, uh, things went along fine for about 10 years. Uh, the, the, the dues were very reasonable. Everything looked pretty. Everybody was happy. And then all of a sudden, um, the crap hit the fan. And through a series of events, it was revealed that there was very severe, uh, structural damage due to leaking from the roof and the windows. And it had gone on for so long that, uh, there was a lot of uh, dry rot and, um, uh, uh, uh their buildings were all in jeopardy of being condemned by the city and so they wanted a remediation plan so what the board did was was they 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 immediately uh well I shouldn't say Im- immediately but but behind the scenes uh they contracted out for a very large contract multi 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 million dollar contract to fix all of this and they did it without the input of the association members. And one day they sprung it on them and said, we have to pay this money. It has to be fixed immediately or, or we'll be condemned and, and uh, everybody will be forced to leave. So obviously the association members were in shock. And uh, what it did was it, it increased their, their dues to just phenomenal rates. These people that live in this association – they they they're working class you know they are not rich people there's a lot of retirees uh there's a lot of people that that bought into there because it's the only thing they can afford well now their dues are over $1000 a month that's higher than their mortgage wow and uh so uh everybody uh, uh panicked and started communicating with each other and saying, What has the board been doing all these years? What are they doing to us now? They're ruining us. Uh you know, this is a this is a disaster. And so what we did was we studied it from the sense that we looked at the communications and we asked ourselves, you know, some questions like how does being in power influence the behavior of the board members? Uh, how does that power uh, uh, intersect with the association members? In other words, can the association members, can they push back in any way? Do they have the power to push back? And there's a lot of uh, 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 legal ramifications and consequences so that the Power tends to be, uh, you know, the association members are finding that the power tends to be concentrated in the board, and it's extremely hard to push back. But anyway, they organized and they did push back, and um, uh, the board was not listening to them. And so you get into some psychological reasons like groupthink. And, uh, so, you know, we were looking for evidence of groupthink. We were looking, uh, at, uh, now this is very theoretical. We, we were looking at the reciprocal influence model of social power. And that is the power of the board in relation to the power of the members. And that theory makes a very specific prediction. And it says that when you have a higher power member and a lower power member, the lower power member is going to try to push back in an effective way, and they were able to do that by organizing. And so, uh, the question is, did it improve the decision making of the board by pushing back? And the answer is no, because of groupthink. And so where we are now is, uh, in, in the stage of the study, what we're doing is, is, is we're looking at, um, uh, what mistakes were made. And we're, we're also looking at was the problem resolved? Was effective decision making completed? And the answer is no. There has, <laughs> two years down the road, there's no effective decision making. Uh, and, you know, why, uh, there's some, you know, I don't want incompetence is too strong a word, but what I'm, what, uh, what we might say is, um, uh, amateur board members. We're making very bad decisions and excluding uh, expertise. There's a lot of expertise in the association members that we're just ignoring it. You know, there's association members that have been um, um, uh, project engineers. Uh, they they have been engineers, uh, uh, contractors. <laughs> they have lots of society. it. Was all ignored by the board, and so uh, right now where it stands. Why, why, is... why
1: was why was that, Mike? Why was it ignored by the board? You know.
0: Well, a couple of reasons. Um, One is the power differential, and it's sort of uh, egos got involved. And it's like you're trying to say you're better than me. You're trying to say that I made a bad decision. You're trying to say that you know more than I do. So the egos get involved. I'll show you. And that's very unprofessional, but it's it's very human. I mean, you know, that's unfortunately – uh, when somebody gets in a position of power, you can, you, you can ask you know this question. Are they going to behave rationally? Are they going to behave maturely? Are they going to maintain control? Are they going to make the best decision? And the answer is oftentimes no. They'll get in a power struggle. Their egos will get involved. They will get angry. They will retaliate. It's very human, very human. So all of these things were going on, which we, which we clearly noted in, in, in our research, and, right, um, and we
2: we found out that once people rise to a position of power, research shows that they lose empathy for the people that they have, you know, that they are supposedly leading or guiding, and they suddenly go into some very self-serving behaviors um, because they're supposed to be making decisions for the whole group, and, uh, and like Mike said, their egos get out of control, but it's uh, a well-known the paradox of power, it's called. In uh, uh, psychological
1: circles so if do you think it will ever work this, this this thing that we have now will it work the way it is or are we just going to constantly have the same problems over and over and over again
0: well right now with this case study is showing that it's not working out it's the same problem over and over again and So, it's n- never working yeah the current system is is, is not working and it hasn't been resolved. And uh it's you know, uh, uh it's it's a, a disaster or chaos is too strong a word. But the association members are very dissatisfied and it's not resolved. And it's still up in the air and there's still back and forth and there's no clear path to a solution.
1: In Europe, i my <laughs> sister was uh worked for a law firm and she said, "Oh, my my boss has got to go to she was in she's she is in Switzerland. I think he owns something in France or he owns some place something someplace else. He has to go because it's the condo board's annual meeting and he has to go." And so I queried her about it, and she said, "Well, yeah, if you live in one of these things, you are required to attend the meeting. And apparently in Europe what happens is if you own one of these, there's an annual meeting. It's the members who make the decisions. The manager is tasked with what to do and to report back to the members as a whole. So mm-hmm. there's, there are no layers of membership, which is what we have here. With And I find yeah. it absolutely horrendous with the power to fine and foreclose to collect that fine. So you've got one board. one board one one neighbor with all that power over another, and everybody's tinkering the around the edges trying to make this lead balloon fly and it's I don't think it will <laughs> and I think what you're yes, saying exactly. is the same thing no and i
2: mean and HOAs or associations are sold as a democratic process. That's one of the things that we're told. And you get in here, it's run by the members, but it's not. It's not. Once you get into them, it's run on a corporate structure. And the lobbyists that Mike was talking about in one of those, which are the vendors, which management, uh, attorneys, landscaping, uh, developers, they're all making money on the members. And so they're advising the board who has the power, uh, listen to us, don't listen to your members. Listen to us, they are the experts. Yeah. And it makes it very difficult on the members. Uh, they, the lawyers in, in the case study that we were, in the one that we're looking at, one of the exacerbating problems that sprung on the membership was that there were attorneys in the background, and this is documented in a minute that were telling the board members, don't say anything to anybody because this is a legal case and we don't want you talking to the members about it. And so that's one of the reasons that when it was spun, quote-unquote, on the members, that they hadn't heard much because the members in the background, the attorneys, were saying, don't tell anybody anything. And so it's just not democratic, not open, not transparent.
1: So I'm I'm really I'm as I said I'm absolutely fascinated by what you're doing. I think this is sorely needed. I don't know if you've talked to Dr. Gary Solomon. He's got a lot of good stuff that that uh, might be able to might be helpful. Um but what I'd like to know is if you're planning on looking at ultimately whether you think this will I mean obviously you just said you don't think it will what What are we supposed to do with all of these projects basically these developments that are so wrapped up in all this nonsense? I mean we've got to untangle them i I don't think we can keep them
0: well unfortunately, the trend is in the opposite direction well I know because that, of
1: the, because yeah. of the because of the special interest that Shelley was just talking about the community associations yeah. institute it's what a $90 billion annual industry, they're not going to give that up very easily.
0: Yeah, that is correct.
1: But there's more of us than there are of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's... you know, be very difficult to, to turn that ship around because it has a lot of momentum and a lot of inertia and a lot of, uh, special interests behind it. And, um, you know, the, the assumption is that society operates rationally, that when we see a problem, we need to solve it. Um, but it doesn't work that way because, uh, People are going to behave in their own self-interest and not in the interest of others or, so, or the interest of something that's going to happen down the road. So it's going to be very – in other words, we're swimming against the tide trying to say, how are we going to stop this? But, um, but like, because it, we want it to stop, but others don't. That's, I guess that's what I'm saying. We're in the minority, and we don't have the power to make a stop just because we want it to stop doesn't mean we 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 can and or particularly that other people are going to listen to us when there's pressures to push them in the opposite direction that we want them to go in
1: there's one story well, that i love talking about and i've told this story before it's the Ferran case where they ended up, they couldn't dissolve the HOA. It was going to be too difficult. So what they did was they amended the governing documents and they stripped the board and the HOA of all its powers. No <laughs> covenants, no no um, hierarchy of members. The only thing that the association was allowed to do was collect enough dues to maintain a one-acre strip of land that they had and pay the insurance on that. That was pretty much it. So the association still exists, but it has no teeth. And the homeowners took it away from them. So (laughs) psychologically, how can you, I I, know you've done an absolutely brilliant job of explaining why we, why we are where we are and why people don't listen to us. But at some point, I mean, you talked about primal fear. What, what is it going to take to get them to realize that there's nothing in an HOA for them?
0: Yeah, it, it, it would have to be a, a, a very concrete, uh, cogent message that is fear-based because that's what people are going to be most likely to listen to and, and react to. But it, it, it has to be one that reaches a critical mass. They, they would, they would, uh, you know, in terms of persuasive communication, they would have to hear a message repeatedly. It would have to be consistent, and it would have to come from many different sources. Uh, a, You know, somebody, uh, you know, whistling in the wind far away when uh, there are uh, – Ten times closer and louder and more well-funded voices saying the opposite is going to be very difficult, to, to, if not impossible, to get through. So it's, it's going to reach a critical mass of consistent and repeatable information that uh, does have you know, the element of what do I have to fear in it in order for people to start taking notice.
1: Well, what the industry will have them fear is a red door. And the promise, you you know, it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much. If you don't have an HOA, your neighbor might paint his or her door red, and then what are you going to do? It's going to devalue property. So the fear is a red door that's going to allegedly devalue property. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people seem to be afraid of not much at all.
2: I, I always like to ask people when they're considering going into an HLA, I, I say, do you, um, would you go into a business uh, partnership with 400 uh, strangers? Did you go into a business with 400 no, Well, no, they would never do that. And yet, when they go into an HOA that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. But they just don't believe what
1: you're telling them. So what is a simple message? They're not believing that one. There's got to be something. It's something, as ridiculous as a red door. (laughs) You know, I've seen that happen. I've attended meetings where just about everybody is ready to sign on the dotted line and overturn and get rid of the HOA, and one person says, but what if somebody paints their front door red? I go, why are you afraid of a front door? (laughs) And that turned the whole thing around. (laughs) It, It really did. It turned the entire conversation around.
0: Yeah, that's, right. a, that's a good
2: question. Right.
1: So how can you... Well, out-
2: being in an HOA and with all the problems that they have, it actually devalues the property, especially in condo units and stuff, when the HOAs go out of control with lawsuits and rules and regulations so that people don't... Uh, so that people in the area may not want to have anything to do with that particular HOA, or they can't get loans on their unit because um, uh, uh, because of the foreclosures and stuff. But again, it's like Mike said, they'll go into denial. Well, this isn't going to happen in my case because right. the one I'm looking at isn't doing those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I checked it out. the The finances, the financial statements are pristine very clear right <laughs> <laughs> um didn't last long down, no i'm down the road that can change very quickly oh, yeah. with You're all the e-
2: things that we're subjected to
1: one election away right yeah one, one election, election away. away
2: that's right or one embezzlement away i mean it, it can be that simple as a, a manager or a board member embezzling like um, in Niles, where they that ten million dollars went missing.
1: It's interesting right. that it's interesting that the industry just glosses over that because when they say they they accuse the homeowners of not paying their assessments, and is that fair to the <laughs> other homeowners? Then usually I'll say, well, what about all the embezzling? <gasps> that happens. <laughs> yeah never heard of that one so i had one person yeah. who did that and i sent them every two or 3 days i would send them the latest news news article about another embezzlement finally they said stop show sure. i get it <laughs> <laughs> right. but but talk about denial right
2: yeah I love it when I sleep, when I see these advertisements for real estate. Big sign says, no HOA. Yeah. And those houses go so quickly.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had, um, I was a founding member of an organization way about 30 years ago called the Council for Homeowner Rights. And this was before we had internet and email and all of this stuff. Everything was still paper and, and telephone based. And whenever we found, any subdivisions, any houses that were marketed, no HOA, because we would hold these open meetings. We would advertise these houses for the developer and for the homeowner and for the 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 agents mm-hmm. to help promote them. Because people are always looking for no HOA housing, right, right, and they're not there. There's, there's very little of it. <laughs> so, all right, Mike. Um, what else are you going to do? You said there were three, three parts to what you're doing, the case study. No, that's, that it. Of-
0: that's it. Just, yeah, no, just two parts. Um, the research that we're concentrating on right now, the case study, and then the underlying psychological mechanisms that explain why people do not heed warnings.
2: Right.
1: And what are you gonna do? And the with social that? dynamics
2: inside of the the organization between um, the board and the neighbors they that's supposed to be a community, united, all for the same goal, you know, and then but they like um, Ward says, you know, neighbors at war. It turns into a war theme in these HOAs. How does that happen? For people wanting to be part of a community and have things nice, and then it elect
1: their neighbors to the board, and then suddenly there's a war. Uh, like CAI yeah. says, it's democracy up close and personal, right?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Have, have uh, more like, influence on your surroundings, right?
0: Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think that we see a tendency for people to behave that way if we just look around the world right now and see what's <laughs> going on. There's a few wars going on, and there's a few conflicts, and so people have a tendency to devolve into that uh, dynamic.
1: So, um, so so it's not workable. So what are you going to do? This is a paper that you're writing. It's a study, and it's going to be published in a legal journal or a, a psychological journal? A research journal, yeah, a research psychological journal, journal. yeah. Um,
0: Well, what we're going to do is is, is we're going to make recommendations. And some of the recommendations that that we're going to make is uh, uh, inclusive decision-making, transparency, improving human relations, uh, and, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that would cause those three things to happen would would help make it better. Of course, as you said, Shu, there's... S- systemic things that can be done. You can change the system. Uh, we're not we're not addressing that, but that's certainly uh, one solution. Like when you said, instead of the board making the decisions, they they uh, they follow the uh, the wishes of the the democratic vote at the end of the year. So that that would be changing the system so that these things don't happen. Um, do you think what? Well, I-
1: when this paper is is finished do you think there will be a follow on will you be doing further research on this and looking Yeah, at I
0: think it? we will. Yeah.
1: So this is not a one-shot deal. It's going to be something no. that's ongoing.
0: Right. Yeah. It will evolve as we go along and hopefully it will become more sophisticated and improve. Because this is, you know, this is the uh, our first Uh, attempt at it, so you might even consider it a pilot study where we're, we're, you know, getting our bearings, getting our feet wet, and we're saying uh, what does it point to as the next step that would be the next uh, logical progression in terms of getting better answers and better solutions to these problems.
2: And as we're doing our literature search, uh, we found that there's very few studies that actually deal with associations. There's some with corporations, there's some with neighborhood dynamics, but actual condo, uh, uh, you know, CID um, uh, studies, there is just hardly anything.
1: A lot of those are done by the industry and proponents of the regime. As opposed right. to people who are sitting back and saying, I don't think this is going to work.
0: Yeah, we, 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 we've you noticed, noticed that. That, <laughs> that. That most of the research that's done is industry sponsored. Well, and there's virtually none that is not industry sponsored. And one of the reasons is it, it does not lend itself well. To normal academic research. And uh, this is the first case study I've done because, you know, typically I do controlled experiments and you cannot do that with a pre-existing situation in the community because you don't have experimental control. So it really limits how you can get at, uh, you know, answers and research uh, the underlying dynamics. It's, it's, it's very constraining.
1: How can you expand on this? Um, how can well, you reach uh, how can you reach other people so that it becomes more of a mainstream type of thing? Because everybody lives in one of these things, and everybody is subjected to all the nonsense that goes on in them.
0: Yeah, we haven't gotten to that stage yet. We we don't know what our next step is going to be because what we have to do is kind of let this gestate and sit down and have a brainstorming session. You know, what did we find? What does it all mean? Where is it headed? Uh, What is the next logical step? How can we improve? All of those uh, questions have to be uh, thought about. And then we have to, you know, um, use each other as a sounding board and and do some problem solving and come up with a course of action. We're not that far yet. So you're one step ahead of
1: us. (laughs) Well, i don't know that i am i'm just fascinated mm-hmm. i'm really excited about what you're doing because i think it's desperately needed and i hope that when it's done you will both be back on to talk about it We talked
2: about our successful studies that was
1: published absolutely Shelly, you must hear from a lot of people i hear from a lot of people you know, these are all, I I don't know if it's something that can be done informally. I mean, th- you want to hear from people who've been through it. And I absolutely hate, hate with a passion, focusing on the problems because I think it's the big picture is that we're dealing with something that's structurally faulty. And I don't care how, how much you massage it and how much you you pet it and twist it on its head, it's not going to work. Because as you said, Mike, Mm -hmm. it goes against human nature. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything you talked about supports shoving people in like a bunch of sheep and putting them in this pen and saying, here, this is good for you. It hurts me more than it hurts you, but it's good for you, so let's go. Right. (laughs)
0: Right. Okay. Well, shoot, sure, I'm going to excuse myself. Thank you for for the uh, for the interview. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Thank and you. So I've got to get
0: uh, back to giving a test to my students now. So I'll <laughs> be off off and running. But thank you very much. Bye, Shelly. I'll talk to you later. Sorry. All right. Bye.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Okay. Bye. Right, bye.
1: So Shelly, this is absolutely fascinating. And I'm really excited that uh, you and your brother are doing this. When did you start on this, and what made you decide to, to work on this project?
2: Well, we, we got access to a forum um, between members. And as I looked at the members communicating with each other through social media and some other sources, I was struck by how uh, how the pattern was so predictable. It was like, I could tell that this was going to happen. I could tell that this person was going to be attacked. I could tell, you know, when I was reading through it in the different sources. And then I actually called Deborah, and we began talking about it. And she started laughing, and I started laughing. It was so predictable. And I thought to myself, this is what, we need to study, the interactions, what's going on with predictability. And so I called my brother, obviously, the research psychologist. We've been published together a number of times in some other fields. And I said, what do you think? Would this make a good study? And he immediately jumped on board. And it's just, it's been amazing. Like I said, we make a fantastic team, the, uh, the three of us. And so we're just marching forward with it and it's opening up my eyes Because as we're going through it Coming from three different perspectives Each one of us are picking up On major things that are happening In the dynamics And and then we're comparing notes And it's go, we're going to come up with a great it, it, It'll result in a wonderful study And I hope that we come up With some useful recommendations I don't know because it's an unworkable system But maybe we can make it better Maybe we can put a chink in it
1: Well I think you know when you talk about when you look go back and look at the original papers that came out with the original hoas Uh, by the way i have the original manuals that uh, byron Hankey gave me him and he was the one who started yeah i I was invited to his house um, and he gave me gave me all the original paperwork that he had copies Mm -hmm. of it and it's absolutely fascinating he was not, by the way, he was not happy with the way this whole thing turned out. Mm-hmm. But the idea was the homeowners to have a bigger say. But that was secondary to the fact that it was giving local municipal governments a free pass on the tax dollars. And that's at the beginning. Right. That's, that's the heart of this whole HOA movement, is to allow right. your local municipal governments to collect the tax dollars without providing okay. you with all the services they were supposed to do
2: follow the money. And they don't want to let that go. I was talking to uh, the county attorney at one time regarding our HOA. It had to do with some matters. And he just slapped his head and said, if I have to hear one more time about double taxation, I'm so sick of it. And I'm sitting there thinking, why aren't you listening to the members of your community? It is double taxation. And why are you treating it like the Members of these HOAs do not have a complaint; they have a very legitimate complaint. But that was his attitude. It's like,
1: oh, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, and this was where. This
2: is this is in Utah, Sanpete County. Was
1: in Utah, so mm-hmm. so it it's over there too. People say, hey, we we just don't want to deal with this. So Shelley... anyway, I want to
2: thank you, Shu, for all the help that you give homeowners and the platform you give us to reach out to other people. I know sometimes it seems like we're just preaching to the choir, but I think that your show reaches farther out than a lot of people realize, and I'm constantly sending links to people who are considering going into H.O.A.s. No, listen, (laughs) please, go to On The
1: (laughs) Commons. Don't do it. The story I love the best is the Ferrands, Old Belhaven in Alexandria, Virginia, and they looked mm-hmm. at they had their attorney and and who by the way is now a state senator he was uh he he was a, <laughs> yeah he was a representative um at the time when he when he uh sort of represented them, so he knows what all this is all about yeah they worked they looked at trying to shutter the h o a to dissolve it. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be too difficult. You still had the old board members, the people who wanted this, that, and the other. What happened was they decided the next best thing was to just, just strip it of all its powers. The HOA still exists, and it can still turn around and change things and come back. But I think right. it's going to be a lot harder to, to put those restrictions and covenants back in place than it was to take them out. If you're going to have these stupid things, don't give them any power. At least strip them of their power.
2: Right. Well, we're certainly looking at uh, options and trying to find uh, ways, like they did, uh, to make it so that the homeowner is not in such jeopardy and that the liability is not so great. I have to laugh when members, uh, when uh, the vendors say, oh, this is This will give you protection being in this HOA. It's just the exact opposite. It takes away their protection. They're at greater liability and risk than if they were in a single-family home.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, single-family homes also come with HOAs, so you have someone telling you what to do all the time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks Thank for you, introducing you. me to your brother. I look forward to having both of you back on again. It's been fascinating.
2: We'll let you know when it gets accepted for
1: publication. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Shelley. Please check out our website at onthecommons.us. On the Commons is produced by OTC Multimedia Productions. <laughs> I finally bought my dream home to enjoy retirement life I've made new friends and buddies, lots of parties for my wife It seemed that life was perfect, all my neighbors felt the same Then along came death by CCR's, life's over, I'm fair game Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us
0: we bought a one-way ticket to hell.